God today and magnify him and praise him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 26, verse number 19. We'll read one verse of scripture that is a part of a larger testimony that is given by Paul as he is standing before King Agrippa. He is giving his testimony. Anybody this morning have a testimony of how God has richly done things in your life? They overcame him, him being the enemy of their soul, by the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. Your testimony is important, and Paul gives his testimony in multiple places. This is one of them in Acts chapter 26, verse 19, as he is giving his testimony in front of King Agrippa. And he says these words, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. That's the only verse that we're reading here uh, today as our text. King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Everyone say heavenly vision. The heavenly vision. I want to speak to you for a few moments today on visual acuity. Visual acuity. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that your word would strengthen us today in the house of God as we build up our most holy faith and know that the word of God brings encouragement and strength to us. We ask that you would direct us, guide us. We thank you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the scripture here today. Optometrists and ophthalmologists around the world have figured out and discovered the standard by which every person should be judged when diagnosing their visual status. We call that 2020 vision. How many people here today just in a survey have 2020 vision? If you do, raise your hand and allow us to see who you are. All right, 2020 vision. 2020 vision is the standard. The rest of us, <laughs> the rest of us are not 2020. Uh, so, uh, you are to be commended and uh, enjoy that sight, enjoy that visual acuity while you have it. So that is how optometrists and ophthalmologists determine how a normal person sees. When you stand 20 feet away from an object, you can clearly identify a row of 9 millimeter letter letters from 20 feet. That gives you 20-20 vision. In the United States of America, you are considered legally blind if you have 2200, and that also makes you unable to drive a vehicle. If you have 2200, what this means is that you can see objects at 20 feet that most people with normal vision could spot from 200 feet. So a legally blind person needs a distance of two feet to spot the same letters on a standard eye chart that is 20 feet away from a normal person who has good eyesight. So if you're 2,400 instead of 20 feet, you need two feet to see that. If you have 2040 vision, a normal person standing 40 feet from the chart can see the objects 
but you have to be standing 20 feet from the chart. So if you have 20, 40, a normal person could see it from 40 feet, but you have to, you need 20 feet to see what a normal person could see at 40 feet. The reverse applies if, in fact, you have 2010 vision. Anyone have 2010 vision here? Brother Josh, are you serious? You have 2010 vision. Let's give him a hand. That's abnormal. That's awesome. That gets to the point that, that is so specific that it goes beyond just unaided and it goes into magnifying glasses and things like this to see objects. And what that means is that you are above average and that you can see at 20 feet what a normal person could see at 10 feet in terms of those 9 millimeter uh, objects that you can see from a normal perspective of 20 feet. This is what visual acuity means. Acuity is sharpness. How keen is your sight? Acuity can be applied to your sight, your hearing. How keen? How sharp? Uh, can you see things? Can you hear things? Paul in this passage of scripture, when he's talking about a heavenly vision, is not talking about a, an earthly physical vision, although it's all wrapped up because the story affects his vision. The, the testimony that he gives is a spiritual vision, and it also affects his sight. Paul said, I have followed the heavenly vision. And I have not been disobedient to that. Paul had a testimony, a very great testimony. He was taught by Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, one of the most respected teachers at that time. He was part of the strictest sect of the Pharisees, a religious order. Paul was in that order. He was a known individual. He thought it a worthy cause to persecute the church who believed that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Paul was actively persecuting those that believed that. He compelled the saints of God to blaspheme. He was outraged against them. He punished them in the synagogues. He did everything that he could do to make their lives miserable. He traveled all over trying to expand his influence. And this is why he is on his way to Damascus. He's moving from Jerusalem. He's going north to Damascus. And he's doing it because he wants to persecute the church with every effort at all costs because he is working against what is called the way. This is his testimony. He says in Acts chapter 26 and verse number 2 that at midday, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise, stand upon thine feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, 
and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul was on his way to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute. And at noonday, there was a light that knocked him to the ground. And God spoke to him and said, I have called you for a purpose. I've called you to be a minister to the Gentiles. I have called you to release individuals from the power of Satan unto God. I've called you to preach forgiveness of sins. I've called you to to tell individuals that there is an inheritance that they can obtain by faith. Stop kicking against it. Stop working against it. Stop trying to remove yourself out of the influence of it, but embrace the calling that I have placed upon your life. Ladies and gentlemen, here today in the sanctuary, God has called you for the same mission and for the same purpose. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's given to you an inheritance and you have the opportunity to say, I'm going to take upon myself the heavenly vision. Not my vision, but his vision. God knocks him down. Now I want you to do a search for Caravaggio's Conversion on the way to Damascus. Caravaggio's conversion on the way to Damascus was painted in 1601 for the chapel of the church of Santa Maria del Popolo in Rome by Caravaggio. And he paints this picture. It's done in Renaissance and Baroque style. And he is very, very good because he utilizes light and darkness in a way that is very, very profound for a painter at that time because the images really stand out at you. 1601, Caravaggio in Santa Maria del Popolo painted this picture. And in the picture, as soon as you get it, you can um, project it there. Uh, in this picture, there is something that is notable, and people have taken on this kind of notion. And they'll even say it, that Paul was knocked off of his horse on the way to Damascus. That is an assumption, because there is nothing in the scripture that says that Paul was on a horse. But somehow, because of history and paintings like Caravaggio's, people have started to say that he was on his horse as he was making his way to Damascus. Has anybody thought that, heard that, or that's your understanding, that Paul was on a horse on his way to Damascus, and God, in this great light that is shining, knocks him off of his horse. In fact, the Scripture says nothing about that. It says that Paul was on his journey with others, and it says that others in the passage that we read here in his testimony, it says that they were all fallen to the earth. And so Caravaggio paints this, this picture 
of the horse, and this is Paul on the ground, and the light is coming from above. It's a very fascinating picture and painting, and you can see how, how he utilizes light and darkness, which has to do with vision, obviously, but he has captured the ability to do that with colors and, and textures in the actual painting. Now, he's painted Paul in a, a fascinating garment. Paul looks like he's a Roman soldier or something. He's, he's got the tunics and stuff. It looks like a, he's got a helmet, which this is probably not the way that Paul looked. But Caravaggio was painting this, and he was given the license to do this in the church at Popolo in Rome uh, based on his own understanding or his own subjectivity. And so this is how he paints Paul. Paul's hands are outspread, and the horse is there, and, and, and Paul has been knocked off of his horse. So people then have taken that, and they say that Paul is knocked off of his horse. However, we find nothing in the scripture about that. All the people that were traveling with Paul fall, and, and a, a common uh, explanation that I think is probably better than being knocked off of his horse is that the Pharisees were known to pray in the morning, at noon, and in the evening. Luke makes it very, very clear that Paul in his testimony said at midday. So Paul very well could have been standing, facing Jerusalem. He's making his way north to Damascus. As he's going north to Damascus at noonday, he turns around and he starts reciting prayers back to Jerusalem because that's the positioning that you would place yourself looking back to Jerusalem. And at noonday, while he is saying prayers, there is a light that shines and knocks him and everybody else down. Imagine that. Imagine while you're praying, God speaks to you in such a way that it knocks you over. And so Paul falls to the ground and a voice starts speaking to him and says to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, this is another word that is in this passage of scripture that is fascinating. What is pricks? What does that mean? Pricks are goads. A goad, an ox goad, is a long pole or a long stick, and on the end of it, it has a hook that is very sharp. And so as you're walking an ox along or you're plowing behind an ox, the ox goat is what you would use to keep him in the furrow or to keep him from going different directions or to speed him up or to try to slow him down. So an ox goat is what a prick is. When you would kick against the prick, then you're kicking directly into the sharp point. And so Jesus is saying to Paul, Paul, stop kicking against my direction. I'm trying to maneuver you. I'm trying to direct you. Isn't that fascinating? Paul thinks he's doing what he's doing based on his own decisions or the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. But God says, I'm maneuvering you because I want to use you. I want to direct you. So stop kicking against the goads. An ox is gently prodded, guided, steered, and driven in the desired direction when plowing fields. 
A stubborn ox attempts to kick back against the goad that causes more discomfort. And so God is speaking to Paul here, and he's, he's, he's comparing Paul to an ox. You're like an ox, Paul. I've got a calling for you and a purpose for you, and you're kicking against the direction that I am trying to lead you. One of the worst places we could ever be is in that position when, when we're doing everything that we're doing to kick against what God's trying to operate in our life. I want you to know today that I want to be one that testifies and says, I don't want there to be an ox go that's directing me that I'm kicking against because I don't want to do the things of God and be involved in what God has called me to be, but I want to recognize it's an opportunity to follow the direction that God has called me, that God is directing me, that God is leading me. I don't want to fight against God's grace, but I want every bit of his mercy and every bit of his faithfulness and every bit of his goodness. I want to follow the heavenly vision that God has for my life. Paul is blind. Visually, this affects him. So this is not only a spiritual acuity, but his, his vision goes he falls to the ground. He is blind. He has to be led by hand to Damascus. He does not see until Ananias comes to his rescue. Here's my summary point in introduction. In that moment when Paul is on his way to Damascus at midday as he's saying prayers toward Jerusalem and that light knocks him to the ground. At that moment, everything that Paul had known and still desired, his education, his purpose, his personal mission, his desires, his past, present, and future, his mentality, his philosophy, everything became absorbed, not by his own vision, but by a heavenly vision. Paul recognized, I've got opportunity to be connected to something greater than what I'm doing. I'm persecuting the very one in which the church said was risen from the dead. I'm persecuting them. And here is Jesus speaking to me and he's telling me, I'm not a dead God, but I'm a living God, Paul. And I'm calling you to the work of of God. I'm giving you an opportunity to be used in the kingdom of God. Paul absorbs all of that and he becomes an individual that is directed by a heavenly vision and not his own vision. Praise God, a heavenly vision. Everything in his life becomes absorbed by the heavenly vision. Oh, I feel like preaching here for a few moments here today. In the house of God, you need to absorb the heavenly vision and let the heavenly vision direct everything in your life. That's the way it's supposed to be. Paul said, I'm going to take everything that I'm talking about in this testimony. I'm going to take my pedigree, my education, and everything. I'm going to absorb 
absorb all of that into a heavenly vision. We should be directed by what God's vision for our life is to be, not what other visions should be. We should be directed by the word of God in our life and from that position, it influences everything else in our life. You can't go out in the world and attach yourself to some vision and then try to bring it into God's vision. Paul, you're kicking against the pricks. You got to understand your life has to absorb the heavenly vision, the will of God, God's will for your life. And from there, then you speak to other things. Man, there's a lot of opinions out in the world today. There's a lot of justifications and a lot of things that people put in their minds and then speak about. I'm preaching to you today. Before you do any of that, you need to make sure that you're connected to the heavenly vision. You're you're going to go astray if you're not connected to the heavenly vision. You're going to be influenced by other visions if, first of all, you're not connected to the heavenly vision. I'll sit down and converse with you and talk to you, and we'll have great discussions but we both have to be on the same page and the same pages we got to be in the same book and we've got to be in the same will and we've got to be a part of the same heavenly vision if we're going to see anything done or changed hallelujah hallelujah you may not realize it or not but this message is for right where we are today what makes us all of us in this place today what unifies all of us is that we've got the same heavenly vision Paul absorbed all of those things into his life he became absorbed by the heavenly vision (laughs) Paul I want to give to you a vision. What is it? I want, I'm going, I want you to deliver people from their sins. Hmm. What else? I want you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Hmm. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance by them which are of faith. There's an inheritance. There is a salvation. There's a redemption. And I am calling you to that vision. I'm calling you to that purpose. We did not come just here to sit on a church pew here today. God has called us into a heavenly vision. We are supposed to be about the kingdom of God and the king's business. Hallelujah. Paul, stop kicking against the goads. I'm calling you to greater things. Sir, God is calling you to greater things. Ma'am, God is calling you to greater things. Come out of that meeting mediocrity and that apathy and say God you've called me for such a time as this I'm going to let the Holy Ghost be an influence in my life to have an impact on other people I'm not interested in religion I'm interested in an experience of power and anointing I'm interested in the power of God and even though it was it was noon And the light broke through the darkness of Paul's world. Paul was like an ox, a beast of burden. And yet he is elevated out of his brokenness and bondage. And because of that, he was thankful. He was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And what a vision. God graciously removed the blinders 
off of Paul's eyes. They fell like scales. He wasn't seeing that this Jesus is not dead in a tomb somewhere and the people that are worshiping him, they're not a bunch of crazies. They're a bunch of people that have recognized that he is the risen Savior. That was like scales over his eyes. He couldn't see that. He couldn't see that. But when God shined the light and there was a heavenly vision and there was an acuity and a keenness to what God was doing, Paul recognized, here's my opportunity to get absorbed into the work of God. This is what Jesus said when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let our priorities be in the right place. What is that? Making the kingdom of God the first priority. Not, not somewhere down on the list where we've got one, two, three, four, and then somewhere down here God is number five. But moving God from number five up to number Number one, where he is the priority in everything that we do. Praise God. Your decisions should be motivated by the priority of who you serve. Your direction should be motivated by the one that you serve. Anybody hearing what I'm saying here today? You got to make Jesus you got to make Jesus the first option, not the second or third option, but the first option in your life. Paul was thankful. The blinders and the scales had been removed off of his eyes. And he was thankful for what God had richly done. Each and every one of us can in our, insert ourselves right here into the testimony. Because our eyes, as it were, there were scales on our eyes. But thank God somewhere God found us and God delivered us and God gave to us an opportunity and a hope that maketh not ashamed. And he picked us out of miry clay and he pulled us from all kinds of activity that wasn't godly. We thought it was cool and we thought it was the thing that was happening until somewhere God shone a light on us and we realized my existence has been a miserable existence. My life has been nothing but a vicious cycle. But thanks be to God, the blinders came off. The scales came off. Hallelujah. As the Holy Ghost came into our life. And for that reason, today, we're thankful. We're so very thankful. Anybody thankful here today that God called you from a mighty, mighty long way afar off? This is why Paul writes things like Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and the Father by him. Everything that you do, give thanks. Why are you saying that, Paul? Because I recognized where I was going, the direction I was going, and the guilt and condemnation of what I was doing. But God took the scales off of my eyes. So he had a reason to be thankful in everything. You need to remember that sometimes when you're down in the mully grubs, wandering through your day thinking, I don't have anything to be thankful for. You got a lot to be thankful for because God has done rich things in your life. Hallelujah. Paul had a reason to be thankful in everything. He said, whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why would you want to take that off of your life? 
life, everything that I do. I'm going to pray for my food in the name of the Lord Jesus. I woke up this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus with breath to breathe. I came into the sanctuary in the name of the Lord Jesus because there's power in that name. Hallelujah. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to be healed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because there is power that is associated with a name that is above every name. 1 Thessalonians, Paul reiterated this in chapter 5 and verse 18. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Praise God in everything. Give thanks. It's the will of God to give thanks. But more particularly, Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul's going back to this light and darkness because his whole life is connected to that experience of a light shining at noonday. And he says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. I want to say emphatically here today that the downward death spiral of spirituality, the downward death spiral of someone that is growing distant and cold from God is found in one that becomes so jaded so spoiled, so unaware, so naive, so apathetic, and so indifferent that the spirit of unthankfulness creeps in. We got to ward that spirit off of us. I don't care how depressing it may be in the world that we're living in right now. You can't let a spirit of unthankfulness get on you so that it affects your mentality, the way that you think and the way that you talk. Hallelujah. There's got to be something that rises in you. We need a revival of thanksgiving. Hallelujah. It's the will of God to be thankful. We need a revival of saying, God, you've done great, great things for me, and I give you praise because of it. Hallelujah. I refuse to become unthankful. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul acknowledges this. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were what? Thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. You get unthankful, your heart gets darkened. You get unthankful, you become vain in your imagination. Praise God. We need a revival of thanksgiving. I mean, Paul, you say, well, I, I've got a lot of things, Pastor. i got a lot of things. Listen, what God has richly done in your life is greater than anything you are ever going to go through. Praise God. It, if, if he saved you and picked you out of hell and placed you on an opportunity and a seat of his goodness, you have reason to be grateful and reason to be thankful. 
say, well, show me where, show me where Paul had, had difficulties and show me where everything wasn't just hunky-dory for Paul. Well, Paul said, I, I could have had m much opportunity to be bitter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. When Paul's describing some of the things that he went through in his life, he said, I've, I've worked hard, I've been jailed. Often, I've been beaten up more times than I can count at death's door time after time. I've been there. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, five times, 40 stripes. I've, I've been there. I've been pummeled with rocks. I was stoned and left for dead. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. I've had hard traveling year and year out. I've crossed rivers. I've fought off robbers. I've struggled with friends. I've struggled with foes. I've been at risk in the city, risk in the country. I've been endangered by desert sun and sea storm. I've been betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather, and that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxiety, Anxiety of all the churches. And despite all of that, Paul said, I refuse to be unthankful. <laughs> My body may bear the marks and I may be persecuted, but I'm still grateful that on the way to Damascus, God shone a light down into my world and gave to me an opportunity to follow a heavenly vision. I'm not going to be unthankful, but I'm going to thank God. I'm choosing, I'm choosing, everyone say, I'm choosing. I'm choosing to be thankful. I'm choosing to be thankful. You came in your, a car, but the car's not good enough. No thanks. How about you thank God that you got here because you have a car. Praise God. You got here and you've got clothes on your back, but the clothes are not good enough. I'm looking for something else. Why not? I choose to be thankful that I've got clothes on my back and shoes on my feet. Hallelujah. I came here today and I'm not hungry. There was food, but no thanks. I'm looking for something else. Why not choose to be thankful? Praise God. I came today because I've got breath to breathe, but I'm not happy with that because this joint, that joint's not working and this is not working. Why not choose to be thankful? I'm still breathing. I'm still here. I'm still worshiping God. It's still a good day. I'm going to be thankful. I'm following the heavenly vision. I know God's directing me and guiding me. I'm going to be thankful. Come on, somebody. Let's clap our hands and show some thanksgiving in the house of God today for what he has richly done. Watch this. I'm following. I was not King Agrippa. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Everything. Everything. Everything got pulled in to the heavenly vision. And then from the heavenly vision, everything was spoken to. Amen. Listen to me, young people. When you're at school, it's the heavenly. I hope you remember this message here. Because some of you are going to face a lot of circumstances, difficulties, trials. You're going you're gonna to have a lot of stuff that try to influence you. But if you can maintain the heavenly vision, 
The heavenly vision is what speaks to everything else. Well, what about psychology? What about social sciences? I'll, I'll learn all the social sciences, the psychology, the finances, the accounting, uh, the information systems, the theology. The, the, but first of all, I've got to be connected to the heavenly vision. And it's the heavenly vision <laughs> that charts my course. And so when things come my way, it runs through a filter of the heavenly vision. Paul said, I, I wouldn't be, I would, I would have failed as a missionary a long time ago because when people started hitting on me and spitting on me and hating on me and abusing me, I would have checked out a long time ago. But I'm not following those visions. I'm not even following my own feelings. Hallelujah. And my own self-care, I'm following the heavenly vision. And that's what's directing me and guiding me. You know why there was revival in Paul's life? Because he followed the heavenly vision and not what everybody else was saying. That's okay what everybody else is saying. They can have their opinion. You can have conversations. But first of all, I got to be connected to the heavenly vision. That's what's directing me. That's what's guiding me. Everything that I do in my life it's running through the filter of the heavenly vision. King Agrippa, I'm standing before you today. I'm willing to lose my life. I'm here before you. I'm testifying. I'm willing to lose my life, but I want you to know this. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I plowed through all the condemnation because there were folks that looked at me like I was nuts. I had to escape from Damascus out of a window let down by a rope in a basket because some said, wait a minute, you're the one that's persecuted. You're the one that's put people in prison. You're the one that has killed some of my family members. I don't believe I don't believe you. I don't believe your testimony. Paul plowed through the guilt and the condemnation. There're going to be some things in your past that you're going to have to plow through. And as long as you're doing it with the heavenly vision, it's going to be all right. Can you imagine Paul speaking to congregations and knowing that he put some of those family members of those synagogues in prison and he witnessed to their death? And here he is standing. And what is he saying? I got an apology to make to you. I'm sorry. I was following my own vision. It was a wrong thing the wrong way. But he had a testimony. On the way to Damascus at noonday when I was praying, a light knocked me on my back. I walked blind into Damascus and God called me for a greater purpose. And so I'm standing before you to tell you that was the wrong vision, but I'm in the right vision now. And God's reaching and God's calling and God's doing a work. And I'm not going to be disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul absorbed all of that visual acuity. He had a spiritual understanding and a keenness. That heavenly vision cut across every human experience, every world view. It cut across history. Listen to me. History that is littered with both good and bad. You're, you're not going to get, there's not a history in the entire world that is perfect. Neither is there a perfect humanity. We're all striving for something. We're reaching for perfection. Praise God. That heavenly vision, cut. A, I mean, Paul is under Roman rule. And he's still saying the heavenly vision is greater than Roman rule. And all of Rome's history because it's the heavenly vision. History littered with both good and bad. Triumphs and tragedies. 
relationships and human affairs, psychology and social engagements, the present and the future. Everything proceeded from the heavenly vision to a fallen world. You know what Paul does with his life? He exemplifies Jesus who comes into the world, God manifested in the flesh, bringing a heavenly vision to the earthly. Paul said, that's my same mission. And I'm preaching to you today that that is our same mission, which is to bring the heavenly vision and have it speak to a fallen world. Because Paul would say, it is God's vision. It's not my vision. Well, I think, I think, I should, I think, I think, I, it's not about what I think, but it's about what God thinks. Praise God. Well, there's other definitions out here. It's not about the other definitions. It's about God's definitions. It's about the heavenly vision that is speaking to a fallen world. You can't let a fallen world influence the heavenly vision. You can't let a fallen world change the heavenly vision. Paul said, you can stone me and leave me for dead, but I'm following the heavenly vision. I'm not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I'm not defined by the fallen world. I'm defined by the mercy and the power of God. We find this even in the Old Testament when David looks at Goliath and he says, you come to me with sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You can define me whatever way you want. It's not going to matter. What I'm coming to you in is the power of the name of God. And David wrought a mighty victory because he didn't let the giant define who he was. Don't let the world define who you are. You're a child of God. You are called into inheritance. You are redeemed by God from the hand of the enemy. Praise God. Somebody stand up to your feet and clap your hands and thank God that God has called you to a heavenly vision. This is why he said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Hmm. Why is baptism in Jesus' name important? Right there. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have been put on Christ. Why would you want to be baptized and not put his name on your life? <laughs> this is why in the New Testament they were always baptized in Jesus' name because everything is about the name of Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now watch what he says. Paul Paul is, is not trying to figure out all this stuff. And there are a lot of conversations that could be had about it all. But for Paul, in Christ Jesus is the mission of Jesus Christ, which is the mission of God to the world. Which, when you're in Christ Jesus, it, it cuts through every, every cultural, societal framework. And here he encapsulates it right here in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. Put that up if you would. Verse 28. And watch what he does. He says, there is neither Jew nor
for a Greek. The heavenly vision speaks to that. I mean, that was a big construct, right? There's a big difference between Jews and Greeks. A lot of turmoil, a lot of angst, a lot of anger, a lot of a lot of stuff. But Paul said, when you're following the heavenly vision, there's neither Jew nor Greek. A profound statement. It doesn't matter what your nationality is and what your race is, says Paul. If you're coming from the heavenly vision, there is no Jew and no Greek. This is what makes us one in Christ Jesus. Well, yeah, 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 but what about this? What about that? What? Well, let's sit down. Let's have a conversation. Let's, let's learn about cultures and let's learn about things and let's, 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 let's have some conversations. But ultimately, we have to recognize that the heavenly vision says whatever those things are, they're not to divide or separate us. They're not to disunify us. They're to bring us together because the heavenly vision is reaching to everybody. else does he say he says there's neither bond nor free Paul's writing from a context in Rome which there is bond and free there's master and slave and it's not only in Rome but it's also in the church and while Paul doesn't try to define all of that he sets a bomb off right in the middle of it because he said it doesn't matter if you're a master or you're a slave when you've got the heavenly vision it speaks to all of us that in Christ we are this is one of the reasons why Philemon is so powerful in the New Testament which Paul is writing to Onesimus because Philemon is a slave that left Onesimus and Paul is saying you need you need to take him back and you need to make it right your brothers in the Lord. Yeah, but what about this and what about that? And I, I, you know what? Those are all good conversations and we need to have them. But ultimately, the heavenly vision says there's neither bond nor free. There is neither Jew nor Greek. He said there is neither male nor female. He's living in a predominantly patriarchal society. But Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you better not make a distinction about whether a person's male or female in terms of whether one is better than the other because the heavenly vision is we are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm testing this out. I, this may be my dissertation right here. The heavenly vision cuts through every human conceived notion and structure. Yeah, well, what about the history of male and female and what should be and what shouldn't be? Paul says we can have all those conversations, but the heavenly vision eliminates all of that. And when we come together, there are no boundaries. There are no obstacles. Your nationality or race does not speak to the heavenly vision. It speaks to you. Whether you're bond or free doesn't make you better or inferior. But do you have faith? Amen. This heavenly vision puts Paul on a mission. Amen. Not that he, not that he becomes perfect. 
He says, I haven't obtained it, but I'm following after that I may apprehend it. I'm, I count myself not to apprehend it, but this one thing I'm doing, I'm, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Your visual acuity determines what you see. And I'm asking you here today, how well do you see the heavenly vision or are you absorbed and caught up in another vision? Is it your own vision? Is it others' vision? What are you seeing? Because what you're seeing is going to determine your life. What you're seeing is going to determine your life. Paul said, what determines my life? Good, bad, <laughs> everything in between. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And today in the house of God, what is our keenness to the heavenly vision? As they begin to sing in this place today, as we lift up our voice in our hands, let us pray that, God, you give to me a keenness, an understanding, Lord, an understanding of what the heavenly vision really means for my life. What you call me to be. Praise God. I'll say yes, Lord. I say yes. I'll go with power. Lord, I Strength. Authority. I know there's going to be things that come against me. I should. 